Michelle. Hi, Geordie. Well, today we're talking about that cult program I made you watch, which was called The Vow. The cult program. Yes, well, it's like you're about to program me with that comment. <laughs> what do you mean? You're going to program me. Program. Um, anyway. You will watch The Vow. <laughs> well, it was a little bit like that. You said, you've got to watch it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I was hooked, hooked, line and sinkered right into that culty show. Pull on your boots, get ready, strap yourself in. It's a wild ride because we're also talking about some other cults as well. So get ready and start eavesdropping. Now what? So, Geordie, you made me watch The Vow. Hi, Michelle. Yes, I did. I'm Geordie. She's Michelle. You're listening to Eavesdropping, Eavesdropping. which is two friends... You're on a bus, we're talking, we won't shut up, but you have no escape. Actually, you do because you can turn off the <laughs> podcast, but we beg you not to. Please don't. The good stuff's coming. Um, <laughs> well, the culty stuff's coming and it is quite a full-on subject. Now, I was joking about how you made me watch The Vow, but you did mention it and I was really like hooked on that program from the first episode. And there are nine. It's an HBO program. And mm-hmm. I think there's nine episodes and yes. look it does get a little slow in places but you know it's it's quite full on and look you know more about all of this um cult stuff because um yeah I listened to a few podcasts about Nexium, which is the name of Keith Ranieri's cult well, of sex slaves and if you want to look this up it's spelt in a re- really weird way it's n-x-i-v-m but it's pronounced Nexium. And we'll get into that a little bit later when I give you a rundown of how it started and a bit more info about Mr. Keith Ranieri, who, um, yeah, we'll go into that later. But first, and also we're talking about some other cults as well, so get excited. I'm just going to touch upon a couple of cults, Michelle. Don't look shocked. Don't look scared. But the, re- the re- reason why I wanted to talk about the other cults is because I kind of wanted to set the scene a little bit. But we'll get to that in a minute because first I feel I need a little, I have a little apology coming on. Oh, Jesus. Who do we have to <laughs> apologise to this time? Well, last week's episode, which was about spirits. was I can't remember what it was about. Well, are you thinking about the extra droppings, which was dreams and visions? No, the one before that. Psychics, are they real or fake? Psychics, you said Darren Brown makes you dance like a chicken. I just feel for Darren's sake, I just need to say that he is a mentalist, not a psychic. Do you know what a mentalist and is? Yes. <laughs> <Not for> you. <laughs> he uses his brain to make do things and he learns about he, – he's more likely to make you um, – to kind of like get you to pilot a plane if you're scared of heights or something. And he's more likely to debunk those psychics that we talked about last week, like Doris Stokes. And I mean, she's probably very, very amazing at what she does. And she is real, Doris Stokes. I did find her. I know. I think I must have. She's got some great books like Voices in My Ear. Yeah, or something. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, sorry. Sorry, Darren. I I know you don't make people dance like a chicken. I actually remember my mum went to something at the Labour Club. Jen. Jen went to a a hypnotist at the Labour Club. um, And there were people in the audience who had to dance like a chicken. So... But anyway, uh, let's talk about cults, Michelle. All right. Take the lead, Geordie. Well, first of all, no one ever wants to join a cult, do they? They don't think, hey, let's join a cult. I know. I'm going to join a cult. (laughs) That Charles Manson guy, he was cool. Let's join a cult. (laughs) No, that doesn't happen. 
They'll sign up for courses or attend su support groups, but never does one consider signing their free will over to a monolith who can use and abuse you, bend your will to suit their own needs, etc. No, and I think there is something in this because, you know, and we're going to the vow now. When you're watching that, and, and I want to also make this point, um, nobody... Nobody joins a cult because no one thinks they're joining a cult. They think they're joining self-help, whatever it is. And certainly that was the case in The Vow. They all thought that they were joining an executive success program. And that was even the name of it, ESP. So they were all these people who felt that they were joining something that would enrich their lives and make them more successful in their businesses. Now, the other point I want to say about this is that She's got points. Yeah, but while nobody ever joins a cult, nobody ever joins something like this when they're in a good place. Because when you're happy, when you're happy and fulfilled and you've got a great relationship and you're happy in your job and everything's going fine in life, you're not looking for something. I think it's people who are a little bit lost, who are at a vulnerable moment in their life. They well, are they weren't searching. making a success of their career as well. Yes. A lot of them who joined Nexium, they were actors and yeah, filmmakers. Yeah, and they were at a point mm. where they were at a well, a turning point where they felt like I need to do something to like make a difference in my life. And also, these are smart, and especially in the case of the Val, these people were smart, successful, self-aware who were just lost at, or at a low moment and were mm. cherry-picked because another thing about The Vow is that you had to have money to even oh, start. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot to cover here. But, yes, you're right, Jordy. Nobody ever thinks, hey, I'm joining a cult. They think that mm – -hmm. and in this case, they thought they were joining a wellness program. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's – I'm going to tell you a little bit of things, things that I found out during my research. Okay, so basically, ex-cult members have said, not just Nexium ex-cult members, but general ex-cult members of other, because there are many cults out there, many other cults. They have said that by the time you figure out you're in a cult, your whole life has been committed to serving the cult community. Yeah, of course. So because that's, you're in it, basically. Yes, and actually... It's too late to pull out financially you know, emotionally, or maybe the members of your family have been drawn into it and they won't come out. There's been, with the, um, in the example of David Koresh, for example, there were members of fa whole families that joined and came from Britain, in particular, um, Afro-Caribbean families from Britain tended to go and join David Koresh in Waco, Texas, I think in the 80s. I think it was at the 80s. I can't remember the timeline. And some of the cult member families would leave and others would stay behind and they'd be desperately trying to get their family members out. Mm. Well, I mean, that's also the vow, you know, that's part of that whole series. There was one lady and, I mean, I'm not sure how old our listeners are, but if anyone remembers Dynasty, one of the key players in the vow was Catherine Oxenberg, who... That's right. What was her character? Dynasty. What was her character in Dynasty? I want to say Sammy, but I don't think oh, it I don't, was... I think I she was remember. a bit more posh. But anyway... She's from Yugoslavian royalty. You know, in the series, she says, maybe Charles can help us. And she's referring Prince to Charles. Prince Charles. So, you know, I mean, it's anybody can can get um, sucked into these things. What What's interesting is when you was just saying people don't get out because they're already so deep in. And look, in the vow, um, 
Oh, what was the what was the lady's name with the dark hair? Who was a whistleblower? Sarah. Uh, Sarah Edmondson. She was an actress yes. as well. Now, mm. And she was a really high earner. She was one of the key players in that whole organisation. And yeah. what she had said at the beginning of The Vow was that her gut instinct was that it was weird and culty and she wanted to leave. Do you remember? And then... But she married within the cult. Well, eventually, yes. But but on that very first, when Mark Vicente, Vicente, who is also one of the key players in The Vow and also yeah. um, was one of the like top dogs in Nexium, he brought her in because like any good cow, <laughs> any good cult. Cult member. Like any good cult member, it's all about recruitment. And he recruited her in. And do you remember at the beginning of, the, of uh, episode one, she was saying, I just thought it was weird. They were wearing these cheap sashes. It was all weird. But Mark said, stay till day three. Now, by day three, you've already been brainwashed. You're in, you Mm. know. And that's why on these five-day things, day one and day two, your normal brain is screaming at you, get the fuck out. This is weird. doesn't feel good. Your gut instinct is screaming at you, don't believe this. But where you are in the environment and all of this like high control stuff where they are sleep depriving you. and Yeah, that is yeah exactly high control. And also high control is another form of high control, which is what an expression that's used about forming cults or getting people on board with cults. Like you said, sleep deprivation, but also um, any kind of negative questioning of the cult. Yeah. So they will slam it down. They will slam it down or they will look at you in a way that um, you're bad or they'll look into you or you'll be, you know. Well, I mean, it's classic It's classic gaslighting. They all did it. It's classic ga- gaslighting. And I mean, I had to look. Jim Jones would fall to the ground clutching his heart. He would be physically hurt if somebody ever said anything about his, uh, cult, his uh, leadership in his cult, which was... Uh, I can't remember what it was called. But he was the Jonestown guy, right? Yeah, yeah, Jonestown 900 people died. Yeah. Yeah. Most cults share basic characteristics. A charismatic leader, extreme ideology, a high level of commitment from its members, and a strict hierarchy. Now, you know what the hierarchy is in Nexium because it's about the sashes. It is. And he had a judo background. And I think this is obviously where the sashes come from. Because in judo, you have to like get a black belt, you know, you go up the the ladder and he's got this whole sashes, you're on the stripe path. Now the stripe path was um, the way that you could progress up the ladder in Nexium. So, you know, he was very clever. Now, the other thing to mention is that he came from a pyramid marketing background. Multi-level marketing. MLMs. And this is a whole other... um, Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes, MLMs. They're all all pretty much from the same model. But you must point out that pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes are illegal because they're not selling a product. Whereas multi-level marketing, such as things like Avon and Tupperware and Herbalife. Yes. They are all selling products. Amway. He started at Amway. Yep. And this is the thing that that's where he got he his loved training ground on how to build uh, a multi-level organization. So for anyone that doesn't quite understand, and you just think of the pyramid, you've got your leader at the top and then yeah. you recruit people underneath recruit, who they recruit, 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 recruit all the way down. 
and you have targets that you have to hit and if you don't hit them then you've got because you've got to buy the product in order to then sell it on as well so and the way what they were doing in nixium was they were selling courses they were selling that's right the idea that you can change your life but you've got to spend seven grand on that first course to do it they you were then um they were selling esp no edms which were what emotion ems oh, emotional emotional development edm weren't they edms no it's called em in order to explore Keith Raniere, who last year received a prison sentence of 120 years for crimes including sex trafficking, possession of child pornography and racketeering. Do you want to know what that is? Yeah, but you know was it last year is? or this year? I thought he just went down in, um, in October. He got the he sentence. He was arrested. Uh, he was sentenced in October. You're absolutely right. Yes. Okay. Do you know what racketeering is? Let, go for it. Tell me. racketeering is a charge usually reserved for mafia and the prosecution indicated that Ranieri was a crime boss using the organisation for financial and personal gain and procuring partners for money and money for him yeah but also it was the sex trafficking and it was a really weird um, a, a really weird application of the sex trafficking law that he was um he went down for and I believe like normally sex trafficking is considered where you where women are um, taken and trafficked out to other people. What it was mm-hmm. in this case was that other women were recruiting other women to traffic directly to him and him only. So so that's why Alison Mack got a sex trafficking um uh, not sentenced, but because she, she hasn't been sentenced yet, but that's why she was charged with that because she was trafficking women to him only, and he, as the only person that women were being trafficked to, I think he got done on that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going quite far away, far ahead for the listeners who don't know anything about this cult. Well, why don't you give a little Keith overview? Ranieri. Overview of Nixium as we're called, Nexium, started out as a as consumer byline. So this is after he worked in Amway and he liked that MLM style of business. In the late 80s, he st- started this group where uh, consumers could get discounts on products if they sign up and pay him a monthly fee. Mm-hmm. It was all about um, forcing numbers, so strength in numbers. So if you um, have, you know, 5,000 people who have signed up to buy a brand new lawnmower, you could use that buying power to get a cheaper lawnmower. There you go. There you, you should go. start was, one. Oh, <laughs> no, but it was more just like like how he was applying this MLM kind of in a different way for consumer byline. But it gave him a lot of confidence because it did. It was very successful very yes. quickly. Yeah. I mean, it all young. fell apart. He was in his yeah, 20s he was when young. that happened. Yeah. He was the brains behind yeah, the, this business. And he was also an only child who, at the age of seven, discovered he was gifted. His parents discovered he was gifted. His father remembers it was like a light going off. And his son, after found discovering that he was very intelligent, he started to become superior and behaving in a Jesus-like way. Yeah, okay. At seven. If my seven-year-old son started doing that, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd have to... Give him a thump strict him. talking to. No, I wouldn't thump him. Michelle, you I'm can't joking. Say that. I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, he behaved in an uppity superior way with his school friends too, bragging about how smart he was and showing off. 
His mum was a heavy drinker and his parents divorced by the time he was eight. So he assigned himself as his mother's protector. When I was looking into this, I have to say, do you remember we spoke about the Joker film? Joker with um, Joaquin mm-hmm. Phoenix. It reminded me of that relationship a little bit. Have you seen the film? No, I haven't still. Got to watch it. Anyway, around the age of nine or ten, the bottle incident occurred. A girl, pal, was on the school bus with Keith Ranieri one day and accidentally revealed a huge secret about her sister. Later that day, Keith said to her, it's like I have a little bottle of poison I can hold over your head. Okay. She didn't really know what that meant. Yeah, but he was already in being a master manipulator. Exactly. After a little seven. while, he used to just taunt her, saying things like, he used to ring her house and say, little bottles, little bottle, little bottle, over and over and over again. He taunted what her creep. to the point where she was beside herself and she eventually had to confess to her parents and eventually it was, it was you know, seen, they looked into it and the phone calls stopped. So that's that when he was... Quite young. That's very young Mm. to start, isn't it? When he was a bit older, his mother discovered he was a very good liar. She would hear him on the phone to many different girls and telling them all the same thing, that they were special, different, and that they were the only one that he loved. Many, many, many different girls he'd say that to. um, I don't know if any of our listeners have actually seen Keith Ranieri. He's a geek. Not the best-looking dude. I mean, he's got a little something, but... At that age, only the hot boys were getting, like, phone calls from the girls. Like, he's a master manipulator who knows how to make people feel special. And he, it was his training ground right yeah, there. absolutely. He, he knew how to listen to women, and this becomes apparent. At age 24, Keith Ranieri set about seducing a 15-year-old girl. She initially found him cool, but when he eventually took her virginity, which was painful and shocking, she went off him. He continued to hound her for sex despite her breaking off the relationship. I have that in inverted commas. Yeah. Now, look, you're talking about Gina Hutchinson, aren't Not, you? I don't know who I'm talking about. Because there's <laughs> been many. There's been many. No, this one. Is she I'm the sure first one went before Gina. he started? Yep. So yep. She, she was with him before he started Nexium. Um, and she... Uh, was 15 he took her virginity he told her basically that she was a a, a buddhist go, buddhist go, goddess sorry. wow so and he, he got was, all the info of what he actually said well but he was in light and he was an enlightened being who was destined to be with her and basically convinced her to be with him and at that age uh, you know he was having sex with her which it was it's statutory rape and um you know, he molded her and controlled her, convinced her to leave school and to mentor her. Right there, he is setting this woman up to be a mental slave to him. Mm-hmm. And she did leave school. And um, uh, and they had this relationship on again, off again for like until she died. And basically... When did she die? So she died in 2002 um, because, yes... Uh, they met in 1984. He was 24, she was 15. Mm-hmm. And she went missing in t- November. No, not missing. She killed herself. Now, there's Frank Pilato, who, if you watch the series, uh, Frank he, Report. Is, he does the Frank Report. And he was one of the key elements to having this whole Keith Raniere sex cult um, blown sky high. But this woman, and, and this is on the Keith Report, uh, she basically... Uh, accused him of rape 
and then mysteriously was found dead. She apparently shot herself, but this is all Ooh. still very contentious. Um, outside a Buddhist monastery in Woodstock in 2002, and the investigation was handled badly. There was no uh, investigation into whether or not this could be more than suicide if there was foul play involved. Um, they didn't know that she'd been involved with Keith. And he's actually got a, a series called The Missing Women of Nexium. She is one of them. And they, like, what Frank talks about here is that because she was, and like you had mentioned earlier, if you have anything negative to say about a cult, they shut you down really mm-hmm. fast. And in this case, there is some conjecture over whether or not uh, she was murdered and made to look like a suicide because at that point she was coming out um, with negative publicity about Nexium, saying she was raped, and she was at 14. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was really, really terrible. And you go on um, YouTube, you can see uh, uh, videos of, of Gina's sister Heidi just saying, you know, like what had really happened from the start. So. Mm-hmm. I think she was, in a way, the testing ground for him, learning how to manipulate women and how to control them. Absolutely. Well, that's great deep diving there, Michelle. Brilliant. I hope you've got some more things to add to my uh, list of very poorly uh, researched facts and figures here. (laughs) I've got this next one. During the early days of consumer byline, Ranieri would hold philosophical discussions at his home with young women. He spoke of making a positive change to the world and noted that he saw great potential in all these women. So he's making them feel special. Then he appeared in the Australian Guinness Book of Records for his incredibly high IQ, 240, which makes him smarter than Einstein, but no one checked. Well, the thing was, it was... It was a home test. He'd done a a a take-home test. test. And you know what? He had one month to do it. Huh? It was a take-home test that he had one month to do. Oh, and he, then post he could do it, it at in. home. Oh, I see. It oh, was a take-home test taken over one month. Oh, I see. Oh, what a fucking on joke. A and I'm sorry, Australia, but that's so embarrassing that you would go, oh, my God, this guy's like amazing, oh, and put him in the Guinness Book of Records. But he used that as the hook for yeah. his entire organization. Nice what move. A creep. What a creep. So as we uh, spoke about earlier, you brought up the fact that physically, Renieri was a short, geeky type of guy and didn't appear to pose a threat. That's what Tony Natale's husband thought when they attended Consumer Byline, one of their forums, and she was captivated by his words. Oh, man. The couple signed up and became top sellers of membership within the company. Age 31, he began to mentor a 12-year-old girl at the offices of CBI. He gained access to her by posing as a tutor, but then began to groom her. Do you know anything about that girl? So this is when Tony was on board. She would notice that he'd come out of the offices ruffled with this girl. And everybody knew she was in there being tutored. She was the daughter of one of his um, consumer byline. Oh, I feel sick. uh, What a creep. So basically, he was good at listening. He had a knack of getting women to divulge their secrets. So he set his sights on Tony Natale and he tried to get her to move to Albany, New York for a job with him, but she wasn't convinced about it. She didn't want to leave where she lived. She had a son, her husband. But anyway, he wouldn't take no for an answer and he spent hours and hours with her in a hotel room. It was like, it was something like six hours. They went for a meeting. Then six hours later, she came out completely broken because what he did was 
he got her to talk and talk about stuff to the point where she suddenly divulged a, a secret about some childhood trauma where she was sexually abused. She'd never told anyone it before. He, that's his little bottle back again. And he made her repeat that story over and over and over in that hotel room all day and all night long or however long it was they were together till at the point by the end of it she just said okay fuck it yes I'll, I'll do it I'll do it I'll do it she was broken she broke he broke her yeah and then she joined up and she moved to Albany she brought her son left her husband and I think at that point by the time she moved to all because he had his sights on her as a potential girlfriend and uh, she wasn't aware but he was already living with three ex-girlfriends, or what he thought, what she thought were ex-girlfriends, but they were still girlfriends. He was living yeah. in a house with three other women who were his partners. So eventually he did get her into his thrall and he managed to, she set up a different in a different house with her son um, and he managed to eventually consummate their relationship. And once that happened, Ranieri changed the rules. Tony Natale was no longer special. And Ranieri would break into her, her home at all hours and demand sex. At this point, CBI were being investigated as an illegal pyramid scheme. So in, he insisted on moving in with her and her son. In 1997, CBI was dissolved. Ranieri began selling natural supplements for a while and lived with Tony for three years. During that time, he wouldn't lift a finger around the house so he'd been not. waited Jesus on, complex. exactly, waited yeah. on hand and foot, and he was living a, nocturn a nocturnal existence. And he had an insatiable desire for sex to the point that poor Tony would be raped if she turned him down. Oh, for God's sake. How much sex can one person need exactly. or want? With so, well, David Koresh was people. the same. Koresh was it's, the same. But come on, like, you know, it gets a bit boring if you have it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for you, Michelle, but not for these chaps. He would, she would even hide from him in her closet. Age. She'd be hiding in the closet from him. My God. Yeah. Then one day when all this is going on, Tony met a therapist called Nancy Saltzman. She turned up at Nancy's offices, told her everything about what was going on in her relationship. And Nancy was like, well, I've got the, I know exactly what's going on there, love. He's a psychopath. You got to get the hell out of that relationship. And that's what Tony was looking for. She was looking for a way out. That's why she went to this therapist, yeah. Nancy Salzman. Yes. Well, she foolishly went home and told Keith that she'd seen Nancy Saltzman, the therapist. And obviously he got the shits up him. And what Tony didn't know was that Keith then went and had three sessions with this very same Nancy Saltzman, his, her therapist. So by the time Tony went back to Nancy Saltzman, suddenly she had a different viewpoint altogether. She was defending him. And she brought up the sexual abuse that Tony had experienced as a child. She'd never told her that. Yeah. What had so, happened was, yeah, he got in there and managed to break down Nancy Saltzman to the point where she divulged she's not even a therapist. She's just a really, she's one of the masters of neuro-linguistic programming, which at the time was considered a pseudoscience. I don't know if it still is, but... Um, she wasn't a therapist at all, but she was number two in the country or maybe even the world at this NLP programming, which is a great tool to have. And I'm sure Keith Ranieri's eyes lit up at that point. But during that time, he also got she also divulged that um, her husband was leaving her for another man. So he had her in his little scrawny well, little thing, hands. Well, the thing with Nancy Solzman is that um, in The Vow, you'll see this as well, when... 
Tony was talking to her about, listen, I've got to get away from this guy. He is controlling my life. Nancy said something to her along the lines of, I don't think you know who he is. He is the man who's going to change the world. Hmm. And he had already lined her up for what was coming next for Nancy. Absolutely. So the two became, like you've said, as thick as thieves. And Ranieri spotted Nancy's NLP mastery was something he could use. And ESP was born. uh, Executive Success Program, as it's called. With Ranieri and Saltzman at the helm. A self-improvement course, it was basically self-improvement courses, using Keith's favourite multi-level marketing model. But also, what I think helped to suck people in is that um, ESP uh, and and Nixium, aside from marketing themselves as executive success programs, so immediately they're targeting people who are looking to further themselves in a business. They've got money. But they were also marketing themselves as a a well-being um, company. So you could go to them and, and anybody who was looking for some kind of spiritual enlightenment were going to, to Nexium as well. But also they describe themselves and I've written this down because it, it was wasn't like, Nexium at that point. So it was ESP, remember? At that point. Yeah, but that's just the beginning of, yeah. of, of They Nexium. have to keep they're, changing they're it because all... they're getting done for tax evasion, basically. But it's all the same principle. They... Yeah. they it's the same company, different name, and they describe themselves as a community guided by humanitarian principles that seek to empower people and answer important questions about what it means to be human. Mm. Now, anybody who is on, who is lost and looking for some kind of spiritual guidance, they're going to absolutely like cling on to that because it sounds like utopia, community guided by humanitarian principles that seeks to empower people. I want to be empowered. Yeah, of course I believe you do. in humanitarian principles. You know, it is ticking every box. So anyway, they gave themselves the names Prefect for Nancy because she's a good little girl, a good prefect. Everybody wanted to be a prefect, didn't they, Michelle? Yes. I was a prefect. I wasn't. In year six. I was, I was also the captain Nancy. of the uh, sports team, of one of the sports teams. Well, I was <laughs> and a I'm not sporty. I was a sixer in the Tintookies brownies, but What's I was a that? bit naughty and I got demoted down to being a seconder. Oh. I wasn't good enough. <laughs> I was. T- I kicked a girl in the shins. I kicked a girl in the shins oh, and got demoted. Thing. Anyway, he was vanguard, she was prefect, and they implemented colour sashes to indicate how far up the ladder you were. The courses cost thousands, and to be able to c- become a teacher of the courses, you'd need to get on the next step up at a huge cost. And, of course, the recruitment. And that's the stripe path because you would get these sashes and they would have stripes on the end. And so the more stripes you had uh, in one particular level, like you had to get, I don't know how many, and then you could go to the next color sash. I mean, they, they really were clever about how to like wring the most money out of people all the while brainwashing them. And, you know, I think Keith sounds like he's taken all of these elements of mm. how to He's a good study. Oh, he is a good study. So EMs we talked about earlier and couldn't remember what they meant, but I'm telling you now, Michelle, they are called exploration of meaning. And they were a very similar thing to the Scientologists auditing. Okay. So basically you would come in, you'd have an EM, which means that they would get right to the bottom of your problems. It's a little bit like... And you would have to pay for this too. Oh, you have to pay, absolutely. So this is another way they're making money. Now, if you remember on the vow... 
people saw uh, ter- people with Tourette's from childhood being cured. Yeah, of, I did see that. This is from doing an, doing an EM. They break you down, they build you back up again. It's using a lot of NLP techniques. And I think Nancy would begin, she was the one doing them in the beginning, but then going forward, she would be training people to do it. Well, but it's also part of the stripe path. So the more stripes you have, the more you can charge for these EMs because you've done more training under Nancy. And look, NLP is one of the most fantastic therapies out there for helping people overcome things like Tourette's Mm. and and issues. But in the wrong hands, it is fucking terrifying. Like what Nancy is doing here. So you have to obviously recruit, 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 because that is very much... Uh, expected of you as a member and they ended up recruiting a lot of actors entrepreneurs and filmmakers they were targeted with specific courses like acting courses and claims of success Nancy recruit uh, Nancy Saltzman recruited two of her own daughters aged 19 and 22 the older girl Lauren began a sexual relationship with Ranieri what a creep and this comes out a lot in the vow mm. just he how kept promising fuck- her a baby yeah, but also how fucking evil Lauren is. Like, man, she deserved to go down big time. Well, she turned it around. She turned it around in the end. She She's off board. I think Nancy Salzman as well. They've, they've both seen the light, I think. Yeah, only because I wanted to save their fucking asses and not go to jail. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So he also made money by swindling girlfriends. And there was one that featured in the vow, Barbara Boucher, who was swindled out of $1.6 million. Yeah, but she all but that happened because she was a high level Nexium person and she was a whistleblower. So he went for her. Poor old Barbara Boucher, I feel bad for her. She got a rough ride. Somehow they managed to recruit in Mexico's high society, bringing on board sons and daughters of presidents and politicians. So they have a huge presence in Me- in Mexico. One of these, a girl called Kristen, do you know about this one? Don't know. She had a psychotic break. The Espers, as they're known, the SP people, wouldn't give her an EM, the exploration of meaning, which is like to to help her feel better. I think when people feel bad or upset or something, they want an EM. They need an EM to kind of get them out of their funk or whatever. So she'd asked for one. Uh, They just sent her away. So she was then found drowned after she paddled off in a kayak uh, with a note stating that her emotional center had been destroyed after attending ESP. She hadn't been sleeping and had reported hallucinations previously before the uh, mental break. So do you know what? This sounds very similar to another Kristen who, but this Kristen was not in in Mexico. Uh, Her name was Kristen Schneider. Do you know about this one? I'm not sure. She's also in Frank Pilato's Lost Women of Nexium. And she was super smart, um, environmental consultant, had her own business, she had been acting weird for a few weeks and she was lesbian and her wife was also part of Nexium. And uh, this was in Anchorage in Alaska. And um, anyway, they they went to this, uh, you know, like 10 grand, you know, intensive weekend or whatever. And she started saying things in the classes like, you know, Keith Ranieri is a psychopath and I'm pregnant with Keith's baby. Anyway, they ushered her out of the of the class and this is where I think fuck that poor wife because the wife was there saw her like partner like up wife <laughs> getting ushered out of this class 
class after she'd been saying, I'm pregnant with Keith's baby. Never seen again. Oh she my didn't God. go after her. And <gasps> they basically, uh, she, uh, they found her car with a note in it. And it's basically said, I've been brainwashed. I didn't even know I was brainwashed. I took a course called Nexium, um, and it persuaded me that I was, you know, no longer alive in this body. And then she literally has never been found. No one's looked into this. Now, she was studying to be a search and rescue person. So when the wife contacted search and rescue in Anchorage and said, listen, um, Kristen's gone missing, they had the full weight of police, helicopter rescue. Yep. Never been found. No way. Never been found. So really serious stuff. Mm. Well, going back to high control groups, sleep sleep Mm. deprivation is an abuse that's used in order to keep people under their thumb. Yeah. Quite a lot. And obviously the sleep deprivation can cause all kinds of manic breaks and, you know, you can die if you don't sleep properly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, part of the vow and this high control group and, and Bonnie Peace, who features heavily in the vow, she talks a little bit about this because what they were doing was the starvation, the yes. calorie controlling, and yeah. that is classic high control. He likes some skinny. He also, yeah. yeah, it says here, he preyed on underage students and impregnated as uh, many as he wouldn't wear, I've written here, a condominium. Would you okay. say that's a spell check? <laughs> that's, uh. as bad, that's as bad as your um, text, like autocorrect. Uh. He told the girls oh, that sex God with God. him was an energy exchange and his spunk was a gift. Oh, Thank Jesus you. Christ. Oh. And he ba- basically, they, a load of them would get pregnant. I don't know how many babies were born within this, um, you know, to him, but he would... Uh, one of his ex girlfriends, one of his girl- many girlfriends, would be ushering them all to the abortion clinic to the point where they all knew her name. Like in the abortion clinic, they all knew this woman's name. Oh, she knew all their God. names by her you know, first names. Oh, like, hey, that you. many girls. Oh, I've got another <laughs> one for you. Know. Yeah, that's oh, bad. No. Then Awful. the Bronfman, Bronfman sisters make an appearance Claire and yeah. Sarah. They're the heiresses to the Seagram. I've got booze dynasty, but it's liquor, liquor company. I think they well, do the, things um, like gin and whatnot. Yeah, well, I thought it was whiskey, Seagram's whiskey. Could be whiskey. I, I mean, they know. could do all. But anyway, loads of money. Loads they got of them money. on board. So uh, with Ranieri, after he worked extremely hard to win over Claire, and then she worked on her sister. He then, oh no, I think Sarah was on board and Claire was reluctant. So then he really went to town on her. Yeah, he wanted the money. Yeah, of course, billionaires. But they were kind of um, not close to their father, I think. They were raised separately from him. So they had a relationship with him where he would do anything to keep them happy. And at one point, they like Keith had insisted they get the father, Edgar, on board, Edgar Bronfman. So he did join up at 10 grand a pop. And after, um, but then after ESP had to change their name again due to the tax man coming a calling, here's where it becomes Nexium. He yeah. and he eventually cottoned on that it was a cult, and I think that he was reported as saying as such in a Forbes magazine article. Okay. And then I think the, the relationship may have broken again between the daughters and their father. Well, he didn't cut the money off because if he did, no. uh, he they those girls would not have been attractive to Keith Rennie. Exactly. He just wanted the cash. Yeah. So anyway, that the Bronfman's, Bronfman's cash were were the reason that Nexium was so mighty in the courtroom. So people who spoke out against. Uh, Nexium, like Frank 
what's his name, who does Palato. the Frankfurt Court, yeah, mm. and many others were always threatened with court cases and libel cases, this, that, and the other, and they could just take them to town with this cash. I mean, billions. Well, again, in the vow, the some of the women who did t- try to take him down, um, uh, Barbara Bichet being one of them. Um, he bankrupted them. He bankrupted yeah. all these women because he had the Seagram's money behind him. Yeah. It's so fucking evil. So there you go. That's pretty much uh, the run up to where we are now, which was in the vow where you had that you followed. What's his name again? Vicente and his wife, Bonnie. Mark Vicente. Now, so everything look, I, was on camera and recorded because for some reason, I think Mark Vicente, who is a filmmaker, was recording loads and loads of tape anyway. But the telephone conversations that he managed to save. Well, they were recording everything. I mean, they're such fucking narcissists, a bunch of them. But back to Mark Vicente. So he, for anyone who hasn't watched The Vow, he is one of the key players in this documentary. He was high level, high ranking. Um, was master recruiter, recruited so many people into this organisation. And he made a film called What the Bleep. It was We all called it What the Bleep. Uh, it's called What the Bleep Do We Know? And look, I remember it from 2004. Did you ever see it? No. Okay, I saw it, but way back then. And it, it was one of these films that really affected loads of people that I knew and it was like an epiphany for them and this film was considered really cool I mean he was from Portland you know it had this whole hipster like look it's a pseudo-scientific film and what it does is it makes a connection between spirituality and quantum physics and consciousness so many of my friends and most of these friends are like people that are living in LA now, they were so into it. They were all at a point where they were looking for some kind of spiritual guidance. This film came out at the right time. And, you know, this film really spoke to people. And I think that he had this notoriety. It did really well. Um, And it seems to me now, like looking back at all of those people who were really into this film when it came out, are the kind of people who would definitely be on board with Nexium because what Nexium was offering was kind of basically what this film was saying. You know, there is a spiritual connection between your consciousness and science because if you remember, Keith Raniere was calling what he's doing technology. Hmm. I've created this Tech. technology. It's not a fucking technology. It's an idea. But, you know, it was this way of connecting spirituality. And I'm not surprised that somebody like Mark Vincente would be sucked into this because he was sort of the leader with this movie, What the Bleep. I mean, I reckon if you watched it now, it totally wouldn't hold up. But at the time, it was really powerful Mm -hmm. film. And then he was, it was actually his wife, Bonnie, who started the whole jumping ship thing for him. He was on the board of directors or whatever it was, you know, after a big cull at one point where I think at some point there was six or seven ladies or maybe nine, I can't remember. There was a bunch of women who were on the board of um, directors or whatever you like to call it for Nexium or if it was ESP at the time. And they all decided they wanted to have a meeting with Keith and sit down and just say a few things and get a few things off their chest you know because they were part of the board they wanted to have a bit of an input well he sacked a lot of them after that well, this because was the they Bonnie, spoke out this wasn't Bonnie this was Barbara Boucher no this era. was yeah this is Barbara Boucher so then as a result of that people like Mark Vincente 
and Nancy Saltzman and all those people were brought on board and he was up the top. He was one of the top, think, top, tops, right? I think Nancy was already there. She Nancy was already was there. Right she was already the there. Beginning. But anyway, he replaced all these women, One, you know, not just him on his own, Mark Vicente. But anyway, what my point is, is that when his wife, Bonnie, started to get an icky feeling about the whole thing, and she was getting, she was hearing rumours of this women's sorority called DOS and women being branded with Keith's initials and having to have sex with Keith. She was getting whispers of this and she thought this isn't right. But she knew she couldn't go to anyone about it and not even her husband. And they started to like drift apart to the point where she actually just left. Um, she spoke to an ex-Nexium member who had said to her, you know, it's a high control environment. This is what's happening. She was like, oh, shit, I'm in a cult. And she left. And then eventually she managed to get her husband on board. Right. This has all been documented in the in the film. And if you look really deeply, you'll see that it was all down to her. And during that nine hours of documentary, you'll see her looking forlorn in the background while he is running with it and filming everything and taking control. And he's he's the one who told Sarah, I've heard about these brandings, his friend Sarah Edmondson, who was another whistleblower, only after Bonnie was the one that left and left him. And she's like, ah, oh. he said, don't tell me you've got one too. And she's like, um... And and then she's and then she's like, stop recording. I need to tell you this off yeah, the record. Exactly. But but still getting to my point. Sorry, Mish. It's going to take me a few seconds because there's so much to say. There was a moment where Catherine at Oxenberg was, you know, she's trying to get her daughter out, and Mark Vincente and his wife Bonnie are very much integral to that whole process for her. And they're coming home. They're getting very close to the FBI investigating. They come home. They see a dog and they're like, ha ha, the dog. And Catherine says to Bonnie, do you remember that time I came to your house when you when we were all members? And you, I said, what's that on the floor? It looks like a dog bed. She said, no, I'm sleeping there because I've done something wrong and I need to atone. So I've got to sleep here for a whole week. And you know, husband was on board with it. And that's what we do in Nexium. It was a punishment that I had to put on myself. So they fell about laughing at how stupid they had been and why they'd, why they'd done that. That's crazy. Mark Vincente standing there very solemn and very angrily points out to the girls, you cannot laugh about this shit because he was, he did that. He was the one that said, yes, I agree. You must sleep on the floor. And he hadn't gotten over his shame. He hadn't got there yet. And he was owning this whole thing that Bonnie had started. And then did you see how she changed her face, just changed from laughing to tears of shame? He coerced her. He put that shit on her, just like Ranieri did to all of those guys. The student had learnt his lesson from his master. Yeah, He's not and, fully out. And the thing is, Bonnie is still under the influence of Mark Vicente. And look, I wanted to talk a little bit about Bonnie because... She is this uh, actress. She was in Star Wars trilogy, so you know she'd had a, you know, not mega career, but she was she had a reasonable career. She's an Australian. She's from Melbourne. Totally sucked into this, um, and obviously she had gotten involved where she was at a career crisis. Mark Vincente sucked her in to this cult. Now, she was smart enough to see it. And then had to convince her husband. I, I just don't know that when you get out of a cult, how can you stay together in a relationship with somebody mm. who, like you said, put, put you on a dog bed? Because, yes, you were both victims. Yes, you were both vulnerable. But 
I would want a clean slate. I, if I was Bonnie, I'd be like, mate, we went through some shit together, but we're done. I need mm. clean slate. Apparently they're together living it up in Portugal, having a great life. Similar to Jim Jones, he'd use shame and beatings after starting Jeunesse, which was, what was Jeunesse? That was the, the woman's group that then became DOS, wasn't it? And then started DOS as his own adulatory BDSM dungeon. He'd have girls sit naked before him while he gave tasks. And when one wasn't reacting the way he wanted her to, he began to kick the shit out of her sitting naked on the floor. Everything that he's doing is kind of creepy. but And, and really it's all about control. But I I guess what I, I really struggle with is that he, it took so long for these women, and not just women, there were men, because obviously in the vow, um, uh, Sarah, the main character, she's with a guy, Nippy, who she ended up marrying. Mm. And together they were like high flyers. Um, in He was the head of the Society of Protectors, which is the men's sorority group. If you remember, there was all these, um, they, had, they invited women along and they just shouted in their faces. And, and said, said you're you the reason why we're angry with you. Yeah, but then they also said, this is what it's like to be a man. And, you know, t- tried to break these women down. Look, everything they were doing was really terrifying. But it all stems from this, like, ethical framework of human experience that he was promoting as self-help. Because what Ranieri was doing, and he was so clever from the start, um, he knew how to basically... So he'd, he'd started from this... Uh, multi-level marketing background. So he knew that to have success, he needed this pyramid scheme with him at the top. He put it in a frame of wellness and well-being and learning to rewire your brain. Basically, rewiring your brain, you go in there thinking, and this is what Bonnie and all of them were saying, they went in there thinking, I want to be the best version of myself, not realizing that he was rewiring their brain to be his servants. And they were paying for the privilege. Like, he called it uh, rational inquiry. You know, this was their rational inquiry. That's what he called it. It was his tech. You know, this was his scientific technique. And it's all mind control. When you're in it, it doesn't seem like it. And, you know, Bonnie was talking about how she would have to be on call to Keith. Mm -hmm. So she she was having less than four hours sleep a night. And then he would say, come and have a walk with me. And it was all recorded, like so narcissistic, Mm. all of this. But it goes the other way because this is all evidence now against him. But, you know, you know, he was trying to get validation from all of these things. And uh, and it worked, you know, and I I want to ask you the question. Do you think you would ever be sucked into something like this? There was a moment in the vow where. They talk to a lady in a coffee shop and they mention it. And she's like, oh, yeah, that cult. She said, that would never happen to me. Well, I don't know if you know that for sure, do you? It could be maybe it's your favourite pop star and he's decided that he wants to start his own cult. And because you love him already, you're halfway there. So basically you think you could be potentially... Um, I definitely would be interested. I have been known to look into things and say, oh, is this for me? If it's like maybe it's a course or, you know, a movement. I actually am a member of something called the, what is it? I can't even remember. Action for Happiness. I joined that, but it's not a cult. (laughs) (laughs) 
But imagine, you know, those. this is what I think about these these poor people who got sucked in. They thought they were joining basically the equivalent of Action for Happiness. They thought they were joining something exactly. that was spiritual, that was going to help them, and they got absolutely fucking brainwashed. Mm. I reckon if they'd got hold of me at the at the wrong time for me, right time for them, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe I could have been involved in something like that because no one gets involved with these things when your life is happy. No, exactly. Because when your life is happy, like you don't have time, you're just enjoying all these fantastic yeah. things. It's only when you're really at a crossroads in uh, in your life. And I do wonder if I could have been. I can see how you can be sucked into this stuff mm-hmm. it, I think and again like I was saying with um with Sarah her gut instinct was run the fuck away and run quick this is weird but by day three they'd got her hook their hooks into mm-hmm. her day three and she was in there for like what 15 years or something so look there was another there was another thing that was in Frank Pilato's um you know, women of missing women of Nexium. So there was Christian Snyder who went missing after walking mm-hmm. out of a Nexium class. There was Gina Hutchinson who was found with a bullet in her head, supposedly suicide, mm. but there are questions around that. And then there were the two ladies, uh, one of them, Pamela K. Fritz. Uh, you see her quite a lot in the Val. Yeah. Well, and she, she dies of cancer. Yes. Now, look, it's a little bit of a stretch, but. Frank says there was a point in which uh, Keith was living in a house with, with you know, these women. Two women got cancer. The two cats got cancer um, and they died. And basically they apparently did uh, a test on the hair of Pamela K. Fritz and found super high levels of barium in her. Oh, so she her. was being poisoned. Yes, because that's in rat poison. And look. I'm not saying he gave these women cancer. I am saying there is it's not out of the realm of possibility because we know that with this when these women got too old he wanted the new fresh young ones in who were able to be like more controlled, who were skinny, gorgeous, he wanted to have sex with them. And I think he was knocking off these older ladies in the cult in Nexium by poisoning them wow. and and that that was somehow triggering uh cancer or you know what i again listening to these murder podcasts i was listening to this one called dr death where this dr Fata was poisoned well, he was basically telling people what? they had cancer dr Fata, his name was um he was telling women dr Fata. <laughs> i'm sorry i couldn't help myself <laughs> F-A-T-A, not F-A-R-T-E. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Fata. <laughs> he, um, he was telling people they had cancer and they didn't have cancer. And he was um, milking the system by they were having radiation, chemo, the lot, hydration oh, wow. even. And they were dying and they didn't even have cancer. And he was really controlling them. He got busted. And um, who's to say that Keith Ranieri wasn't doing this as well? Right. Poisoning these these women, potentially either triggering cancer or just telling them that they had cancer. I mean, it was, look, you know, it was, it's something to investigate. Not me. And I'm sure Frank Pilato has investigated the hell out of this. Let's not investigate it. No, 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 no. (laughs) Apparently he hated lesbians because he, they weren't interested in having sex with them, with him. 
hang on. What about Alison Mack, though? She's married to a woman. Well, but this is the thing. It, he saw it as a challenge. And he would break them down even more. And this is why, you know, people are like, well, she was a lesbian. How could she have had been claiming she was pregnant with Keith's baby? Well, apparently, uh, Frank Pilato says that he that Keith Ranieri takes kind of sadistic pleasure in breaking down lesbian women even more and that it's the challenge and, and of the hunt and all this kind of stuff. So just really, really feeding more and more into you know, Keith's megalomania. And of course, he is a psychopath. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, actually. Do you think that he's a psychopath? Yeah, I do. Do you think that majority of cult leaders are psychopathic generally or narcissistic or a bit of both? I've got a list here. All of the above. I have a list, the checklist, the Robert Hare psychopathy checklist. Shall I read it out? Sure. But let me, can I just say to you, before you do that, I, I want to see what you think about all the kissing. Oh, I hate the kissing. The kissing. Now, so anyone who hasn't seen it, when you see Keith, you have to give him a kiss on the lips. Hi. Man, woman. Hi. Dog it's or cat. fucking creepy. Yuck. Even like that. Like the aunt that you just really, oh, you don't want to kiss that aunt because she always goes for the lips. Always goes for the lips. And he was doing all of this. And then, obviously, the branding. We haven't really touched on that. But this is what blew Nexium wide open was when Sarah decided to publicise that she had this brand. Now, there was a point in the, in the vow where uh, Lauren, who was Sarah's best friend, who like got her into DOS, which was the secret um, organisation for women, where they were calling each other master slaves. They were having to give collateral, which was all of this um, naked images of themselves. They were having to go on video, like making up bullshit about, I was abused or my dad did this or my husband beats my kids, like making up stuff. So if they ever decided to leave this secret society, DOS, that this would be used against them. So, But it was posed as this collateral was to keep them on the straight and narrow, of, on the path of enlightenment and, and helping other women. So it was really fucking nightmare so Lauren got Sarah involved in this and then when it all blew up blew up and she had like the branding and this branding is fucking shocking when you see it and then Lauren says to her well obviously your relationship's not great because Nippy you've had this for six months and Nippy hasn't seen it and it's right down at your crotch and this is really interesting too because there's a point there I think that you know they were this power couple, Nippy and Sarah, but obviously things were going wrong in the marriage. And she even says, yeah, you know, he didn't see it for six months, which means, you know, they weren't really having that aspect of their relationship. And I wonder if he had seen it earlier, would he have gone, what the fuck? Mm. And maybe kickstarted this whole getting the fuck out of the movement earlier. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, abused, manipulated, brainwashed, all of them, all all of the above. So tell me about this psycho- psychopathy checklist. Well, just in case you're wondering, Michelle, if you are a psychopath, here's the test, right? Excessive or uh, glibness or superficial charm. Oh my God, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> a grandiose self, uh, sense of self-worth. Mm, no. Excess need for stimulation or proneness to boredom. No, I like being bored. Love it. (laughs) Pathological liar. Psychopaths don't care about the truth. Okay. A con artist or manipulative. Okay. Lacking in remorse or guilt. Oh, no, that's definitely not me. Shallow or lacking in appropriate emotions. That's not you. No. 
callous or lacking in empathy. No, that's not you. Parasitic lifestyle. Psychos prefer not to work for a living but to take from others. Sounds well, appealing. Uh, it does sound appealing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Poor behaviour control. Psychopaths can, uh, find it difficult to keep themselves in check. Well, yeah. you can be. No, you have been known to blow up sometimes. Could as be. have I. Both of us. Everyone. It's not just us. We'll Everybody. Everybody yes. has a blow Try up. Try and keep Come that on. difficult behaviour in check. Promiscuous sexual behaviour. Oh, God, that's definitely not me. No. Early behavioural problems, so a history of cruelty to others. Oh, no. no. Oh, oh, you kicked God. that girl in the shins. Oh, I did. What a bitch. Psychopath. You psycho. Lacking realistic long-term goals, pref- um, preferring crazy schemes over career goals. Uh, no. 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 I just didn't do great at my career. <laughs> <laughs> it's not done bad. No, I've not Overly done impulsive. Am I impulsive? Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little impulsive. High levels of irresponsibility? No. Failing to accept responsibility for your own actions? No. No, I always say But this is possibly why Ranieri is sitting pretty, not sitting pretty, he's in fucking prison, but everybody else kind of fell down around him and and admitted to what they'd done and got lighter sentences, but he refused. Yeah, yeah. To admit it. Total fucking narcissist. Many short-term marital relationships... Oh. So, like, lots of wives or, you know, can't, can't stick with one person for a long, long period of time. Hmm, okay. History of juvenile delinquency. They start young. Yep. Repeating the same mistakes or revocations of conditional release. For example, being let out of prison and ev- inevitably you reoffend. Well, that's what he did. He stopped, he stopped, uh, Keith stopped his multi-level marketing just to start another one. Exactly. Again and again and again. Again just to, and again. Yeah. And number 20 is a display Displaying criminal versatility. So a disregard for the law, um, psychopaths will break any or all of them. Yeah, that's definitely Keith. You know, I had also read that if you have to ask yourself, am I a psychopath? You're not a psychopath. Because okay. psychopaths would never ask themselves that question. Okay, because good. they are too narcissistic and with no empathy. They would mm. never have a query in their mind going, am I a psychopath? It just yeah. wouldn't cross their mind. So if you ask it, you're not one. There Simple you go. test. Simple test. So that's an uplifting little end to our tale today. And I know we've been all over the shop, dipping into different cults and flipping right through the vow. And if you haven't seen the vow, it might not be interesting. But the cult itself, it's an interesting story to deep dive into. There are a lot of other um, podcasts and TV shows out there about it. If you which are probably in more structured than in this there. particular one. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll give you more of an overview of exactly, you know, what Nexium is and and how it how it was at its peak and then how its downfall. I mean, we've sort of gone onto a few tangents, but I hope you maybe learned something you didn't know before. Well, thank you so much for all your interesting insights, Georgette. Well, thank you, Michelle. Well, thank thank you. you. Thank you. We're and thanking you, thanking me, thanking every bloody body. And we will see you uh, next time. Maybe a little extra droppings. Not sure yet. Figure that one out. Just subscribe and you'll find out. Absolutely. We are on Spotify now as well, just to let everybody know. You can find us. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. At the end. Eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.